focused on teen issues. The first week we talked about suicide. We discovered that since 2010, suicide rates have been rising after going down for many years due to all the education and that effort. We also learned last week when we talked about stress that since 2012, teens are reporting higher levels of stress, anxiety, and also depression. The best theory, and it's still theory, it's hard to prove, but it seems to coincide with the emergence of social media and all the challenges that teens have in trying to manage that. It's hard for us adults who didn't grow up with this contraption to appreciate how much emotion, emotional energy is put into this by our teens as they connect with one another in their social lives. There was a study done in 2017 by Common Sense Media that looked at the use of teenagers of all media, not just cell phones, but computers and iPads and every other possibility. And they discovered that a typical teenager averages nine hours of media use a day. Nine hours. They also discovered that, that adults have a little appreciation. Parents have uh, no idea what they're doing while they're online. But they also found out that while we tend to focus on cyberbullying and and online grooming by strangers, that teenagers are doing a lot of positive things online as well. They're doing research. Uh, they're looking at news. They're one of the most informed generations we'll probably have because news is so readily available. And they use it for entertainment. And it's certainly the way they connect with one another today. And the challenge that we have for parents is how do you keep up with that? For one thing, our kids are usually so far advanced with technology, much more than we are, so it's hard for us to stay abreast of that. Also, how do we have time between juggling job and home and all of our kids' activities? How do you find that time to know what each of your children are doing? And then there's a lot of debate about how much privacy should we be giving our kids, especially the older they get. It becomes an issue. It's not as cut and dried as we'd like to think that it is as we set those boundaries. I also found another surprise in my research this way. I found out that teens are dating less. I, I really thought I targeted this message to focus on romantic relationships and how we can help them negotiate those, but I discovered that they're dating less, that there's a shift taking place, and, and so we need to focus not just today on, on the romance that our teens might be involved in, but friendships in general. Kids are running around in packs these days. And so helping them negotiate those relationships is what we hope that we might be able to help with. Take a look at this uh, chart up here. It shows that only 35% of teens are involved in a romantic relationship, a significant relationship. Of course, that, that increases the older that they get. I also found out that uh, only 2% of North Americans now end up marrying their high school sweetheart. 2%. Do we have any high school sweethearts here? Okay. Doesn't happen much anymore. It's, it's a rarity now. And, and here's what's interesting. There was a study done for 40 years, from 1976 to 2016, following uh, and tracking what teenagers between the ages of 13 and 19 do. And they discovered that teenagers now are doing less adult-type activities than they used to. They're drinking less drinking less alcohol, they're dating less, they're engaging less sex, they, they don't go out as often without their parents as we used to, 
they have less interest in driving and also less interest in working. Researchers say that today's 18-year-olds are doing the behaviors that 15-year-olds used to in previous decades. And it, they say it makes some sense that there's an evolutionary shift taking place in our society that seems to happen in a lot of societies that when you have stable, safe, smaller families whose needs are being met, there's less of an interest in getting out of that home. And also it makes sense, why get invested in a long-term significant relationship when you know that your career choice is typically going to involve college and probably even grad school these days? So things are slowing down. Our teens are not maturing as fast as they used to. But if you're still got a teen that's part of that 35%, and certainly hormones are still at play, and there's new challenges like sexting to deal with, and if they're running around in packs, there's still plenty of drama to go around. So hopefully what we share with you today will be helpful no matter what your teen is facing in today's world. Hopefully we provide some faith support and wisdom that's helpful to you as a parent and teenager who cares about that teen in your life. Now, our passage today that we read, I have to admit, it is not one of my favorite passages. Matter of fact, I don't think I've ever preached a, tech, a sermon off this text ever in all my ministry. It's not in our ecumenical common lectionary. And in general, it, when I've read it in the past, I've always felt, well, it sounds kind of exclusive, a little elitist. But I was drawn to this passage for some reason for this series because it seemed to speak. And when I dove in and studied the context in which Paul is trying to share these words, I thought I had something to say to us that's helpful to us, not just for teenagers, but also for adults as we negotiate the challenges of our world. Paul's writing these words to new Christians. And not just new Christians, but new Christians in the city of Corinth. We've mentioned before some of the challenges that those Corinthians had. We, we've shared some of the history there that, that Corinth was on an isthmus, a narrow piece of land that connected the Mediterranean Sea with the Ionian Sea. And so ships would save days of travel by coming into Corinth, having their ship rolled on logs through that small land space, and then be put back in port. So that means that Corinth was a sailor town. And you can imagine all the activities that take place there. Corinth had a reputation for the number of sacred temple temples of prostitution. It also was the location of the temple Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And you can imagine all the other businesses that, that would be surrounding that kind of environment. And Paul speaks to that by offering an image that's drawn from the Old Testament law. His, his Jewish followers, the Jewish Christian followers, would have, would have understood what he was trying to say here. It's dependent upon Deuteronomy 22.10, which says simply, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. He uses that image of yoke. We talked about that last week. We talked about Jesus saying that his yoke is light, that his burden is easy. And the same things at play here. Paul is trying to establish this understanding of trying to yoke an ox and a donkey together. Now, if you're a farmer, you've got a farming background, you can probably relate to it pretty quickly. What's going to happen when you do that? For one thing, the donkey can't pull near the weight that an ox can. 
And a donkey is going to want to go faster than an ox. And so they'll be constantly working against one another. And that's the image he tries to give to those Corinthians. Ever been in a relationship that felt like that? Paul's trying to suggest that that is what happens when you connect yourself with someone who doesn't share the same values and is on a different path than you. And he's talking about a lot more than just dating and marriage. He's talking about the business partnerships his Corinthians get in. He's talking about the, the, the temples that they so naturally associate with because the challenge that Paul had, not only was there so much surrounding them, but Greek philosophy had this idea that you could separate the mind or spirit from the body. And it didn't matter what you did with your body. As long as you spent the necessary time nurturing and cultivating the things in the mind, you were fine. But to Paul, who's trying to present a God, who's one God, Lord of all, who brings the strict standards, ethical and moral, to us, that those things do not mix well. And Paul's not necessarily trying to tell the Corinthians you should never associate with non-believers. He has plenty of passages where he suggests that they should do the very thing to bring the good news. He even has this passage in, in the letter to the Corinthians that suggests that if they're eating in someone's home, even if they're not a follower, if they present meat at your plate that came from an idol, don't ask questions. Just eat it. Don't worry. It does not have power over you. Paul knew how to negotiate the, the world that he was in, but he also wanted to be clear that you need to make sure that you hold yourself apart as necessary so you don't succumb to the values that take you down. For us, it means not putting ourselves in a situation or relationship that binds you to the decisions and actions of people who have values and purposes incompatible with Jesus' values and purposes. It's not an us versus them, and it's not that we're judging others, but it's discerning who God is calling you to be and where he wants to take you, what dreams he has for you. With that, I'd like to ask Allie Tab to come up and share with us as we focus on the issues that teens have. Uh, Allie is the spouse of Jonah Tab, our Teeter Organic Farm Manager, and she also is a counselor. She's a clinical social worker who works directly with teens, and she has a lot of expertise to bring with her. So, so let's ask her a, a couple questions. Uh, first of all, what are ways that parents and grandparents can listen to their teenagers so their teenagers feel comfortable and be honest with them? Thank you. Um, I would say one really important thing that we as adults can do is to um, listen for understanding. Um, and that means resisting the urge to give advice um, when it's not solicited. I mean, you can imagine as a therapist, it's difficult sometimes <laughs> to not give advice when my clients who are teenagers primarily are talking about different things that I see bring them pain. Um, but doing a lot of reflecting and checking to understand, you know, am I, am I hearing you when you say, this is what's going on. Um, am, I, am I understanding it correctly? Because we, even though we are adults who love the kids that are in our lives, um, we do have to earn the right to be heard. 
and that is really important, I think, to keep in mind, given that there's a lot that we don't understand. Um, there are issues that my clients are going through that other teen teenagers and you know young people are going through that I can't actually relate to because those dynamics didn't exist when I was a teenager. And that's kind of going back to a lot of the social media and use of screens um, because adolescents are at a stage in life where they are developing their identity and that's a very important developmental task. And if I try to expect them to go about it the same way that I did, um, everyone's gonna feel bad <laughs> and we're all gonna be kind of disappointed because things are different. And um, I think being okay with that, um, being okay with just listening and being patient, allowing them to kind of go through a process of learning and wrestling um, with the different challenges, I think that that's a really important thing to keep in mind. And also, um, I mean, I guess, like I said before, just recognizing there might be things that we don't understand, and that's okay. It can be scary if we can't kind of fit everything into um, categories because that makes us feel safe and in control. Um, but there's a lot of things outside of our control that young people are going through that we have to we have to demonstrate to them it is okay to wrestle with this because we are going to be okay about it together. And at the end of the day, you're going to be there to support them even if you don't totally understand. So what's a parent or grandparent to do when their teenager has a problem that's presented, that challenge is there, how do you respond? Um, well, I mean, if they, especially if it's like having to do with relationships, um, remembering that you, you're there, you have, you're on their team. Sometimes what I've noticed with teenagers is it can become really easy for them to feel like we don't get it because we don't, and so acknowledging that, like there might be some things that you're talking about right now that I can't totally relate to, but then showing them that's okay. Um, you know, it's not gonna be like when I, you know, in the early 2000s, things are not, things are different than that. And so, like I said, kind of listening to understand and doing a lot of reflecting and like, you know, active listening skills. Are you saying this is what you're experiencing? Are you, saying this, and then if not, then going, okay, can you tell me more? Um, and knowing that it's a process. Um, you know, if if you see that someone is kind of struggling, they are going, th they're working through developmental milestones, and so it's gonna be ongoing conversations when they are experiencing strife in relationships. You know, it's not gonna be like, you're gonna have one conversation and then they're gonna have it figured out from there on out, because no one learns like that, right? We don't master things the first time that we kind of think about it or come across it, it's a, it's a process and we kind of wrestle through things. So helping them, showing them that you're comfortable with the process of whatever it is that they're going through, you're comfortable supporting them through times when it gets bumpier, um, that, that's gonna open up the avenue for conversation I have seen. Anything else you'd like to share with us today? Um, I mean, I guess just, you know, as adults continuing to remain humble um, you know, I, I can't think of many people who respond well to someone who thinks they have all the answers, um, because we don't, and we have to be okay. What I've seen is we have to be okay with that as adults to say, yeah, that's really hard. Yeah, I mean, I'm still here for you, but yeah, that's, that's going to be kind of a tough one to figure out.
Um, you know, we want to protect people we love from pain, and that is not how life works. And so we have to be brave enough to allow them to to go through their own process the same way that we've had to go through our own processes, um, knowing that we can equip them with skills to be resilient, um, not to like protect them, you know, from everything because that, well, that doesn't build resilience, um, but showing them like this is really hard and we'll get through it, we'll figure it out. Might not be right now, might not be tomorrow, but we'll get there. Um, I think that that's just a really helpful thing I've seen in my work is. Letting them know, yeah, we'll get where we need to be. All right. Thank you very much. I'd like to come back to what Paul shared with the Corinthians and see what that says to us today. I'm really taking how Paul took an approach, basically giving to the Corinthians a gift of an image of this ox and donkey struggling against one another. And what that says to us, and I suggest to us that it means, for parents especially, the best thing you can do is model healthy relational behavior because your, your teenagers are looking a lot more at what you do than listening to what you say. And they are watching. They're, they're watching to see how you handle arguments. They're watching to see if you offer each other respect when you talk. They're watching to see if you truly care enough to spend quality time with one another. I suggest also to teach your teenagers how to manage technology. It is a new animal for us, and we're all trying to figure out and struggle what that means. It's not simple. It's not as simple as just making them put it down, but finding those times when it makes sense I know some families that don't allow the phone to be out when they're having their family meal together. I know other families that have a central plugging-in station at night so it doesn't interfere with bedtime. But teach them how to manage technology. And also to respect their privacy. What you need to do as a parent is help them so that they live the values that you think are important and hopefully become theirs when you're not around. So look for opportunities to discuss those values. A good example, most recently we had a Noblesville student that was videotaped and put on social media, had a Nazi flag draped around himself, and he was sharing racial slurs. Of course, that hit the news quite a bit. That student was withdrawn from school, he lost his job, and there was an outpouring of outrage on social media criticizing this student. What a great chance to talk about that. Have your teen discuss what they thought about that, and especially what they thought. Is it really a Christ-like way to respond, as many did, criticizing what he'd done, and reach out to that, that student? And to teens, I invite you to hear the spirit of what Paul's saying. He's not telling you you should not ever associate with someone who's different from you, whose values might be somewhat different, but he warns against yoking, against being tied unnecessarily to someone whose values are so drastically different from yours. Because if you're not careful, you could find yourself pulled away. Make the time and energy to figure out who you are, what's important to you, what are you going to do to make life better on this planet, and how are you going to serve the God who's given you so much.
I'd like to close with something that inspired me uh, by someone named Annie Fox. She, she shares the whole idea that parents just need to be patient with your teenager because she points out that they're an adolescent. And by definition, adolescent means a semi-formed human being. They're in process. They're not there all the way. And, and so for fun, I put on my Facebook page a statement inviting people to complete that. And so I hope that you can kind of laugh with us here. If you are a parent or have been a parent and teenager, you can probably relate to some of these phrases. So this is shared by many of you. The statement is, I know I am a parent of a teenager when? And here's the responses. They say, you don't get it at least twice a day. They roll their eyes at me. They eat dinner and then 10 minutes later, they are in the cabinets looking for food. They can be with me for hours and never say a word. When they answer every question with, sure. They can't fall asleep at night and can't wake up in the morning. They burst into tears at the drop of a hat. They're in a great mood one minute and then have been possessed the next. They won't get up in the morning even when it's Christmas morning. They say, I can't wait till I'm 18 so I can get out of here. There's a huge pile of clean clothes on the floor, but she has nothing to wear. There's never any hot water. The house is always, always full of kids, or it is completely empty because they are at someone else's house. When I get a daily text from the other room asking what's for dinner, that is today's world. They ignore me, pretend they want nothing to do with me, then suddenly need me desperately. And the last one, which is a good one to end on, they think we are the worst parents in the world when at that very moment we are probably loving them the most. Let's pray. Lord, we want to lift up our teenagers today. Whether they're our grandchild or our child, member of our youth group or that neighbor down the street or just a teen that we run into from time to time. We pray that they'll find the ways to negotiate this, this new world that they're in. Help us who surround them to be patient, to understanding, to listen with understanding so that we can be there for them to sort it through. We don't have all the answers, but we have your spirit, that spirit of love and sacrifice and what a great gift that can be. Through Christ who is our Lord. Amen.